Okay, and away we go. So the four uh, poisonous patterns that have the ability to interfere with discovering the more victorious marriage that we have in mind. And you think, wow, we don't want poison to be within our experience. We really do want, want to have life-giving experience in the way we interact with each other. But somehow they creep in. And if you listen to Josh's sermon today, he really speaks to how that happens. We begin believing lies about ourselves and about our partner, actually. We begin telling ourselves things that will uh, interfere and affect negatively the journey that we're on. When you think about um, <clears throat> Uh, how we uh, incorporate some of these things as uh, I'll just highlight real quickly the four horsemen of the apocalypse criticism and contempt and defensiveness and stonewalling these are those four poisonous patterns that begin to take power we start with maybe jabs uh, in my own world I used sarcasm as a kind of a humorous jab to try to get Nadine to think more like me because I was, of course, the one with the correct understanding of what was happening. Uh, absolutely not true. I used sarcasm, didn't I? Uh, but but the, the criticism that I was using was out of love. It really, I thought it made sense. I thought it was good and wholesome and helpful to her. She didn't receive it that way. And when then she would turn around and she would make comments to me to help uh, me adjust my behavior or my thoughts and so forth, it felt like she had contempt for me. Well, I know her. That woman doesn't have contempt for anybody. But I felt like she did. I felt like it was a stab. And so I had to become more defensive and clarify for her how wrong she was. And of course, what happened for her, I was not the stone wall in our marriage. That was Nadine because she just shut down. I was louder, I was stronger, I had three brothers, I had a lot of practice in staying with it, you know, going after it as hard and as long as it took because I was not going to let the sun go down on my anger. So I was the biblical thing, it was the righteous thing. Wrong. But those four poisonous patterns, boy... I look back and think, my goodness, how those really did interfere with the kind of marriage we both had committed ourselves to pursue. So it was interesting. I started in a marriage and family therapy program in the late 70s. We'd been married about six years at that time. And uh, I'm learning things that are helping me kind of refine myself. Not, I wasn't the expert on our marriage any longer. I discovered I didn't know how to be married in a way that promoted the kinds of things that we both promised ourselves to achieve. But I was grateful for that process, and as I was listening and learning, and I started adjusting and adapting, and I learned a simple thing like the gentle startup. And I just think, how incredibly powerful that is. But I came at it from a different angle. Instead of top down, I came bottoms up. And we're going to talk about this in future sessions. But it was, sweetie, I, I don't know if I handled that very well. Humility is powerful. You know, you can get the thing rolling. When you want to have a conversation, you come at it from a humble position. position and sure enough, you can open up the door for better communication. Building a culture of appreciation. That's how we start in our relationships, isn't it? We start with a beautiful pool of appreciation. I love you. I love the way you look. I love the way you smell. I love that we have so much in common. I love that we have the same values. 
I love that we love this. I love that we do the same things. And it was just our whole pool of what we loved was so beautiful that we just wanted to get married. And that's how couples start. They have this pool of beautiful things that they build on. And as I mentioned, taking personal responsibility because you see what happens when things begin to go awry, we have the tendency to say, you. <laughs> if you didn't do this, or if you did more of that, or if you weren't like this, or if you were more like that, or I remember when you were more like this, so it was all about moving the responsibility over to someone else. And of course, that just stirs up those four poisonous patterns. But the moment we begin taking personal responsibility and say, you know what? I don't know how to be the kind of husband I want to be because I've been focusing on you. I have been focusing on myself. And when I started looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and it says what wives are supposed to do, that was my focus. I, I got hung up on, you need to submit. That's what the Bible says, and you're not doing a very good job at that, and I'm going to help you because you wanted me to be your helpmate, and so therefore you need to submit to my understanding and my perspective. And that was all wrong. That's the lie, the deceit again that got me off track. And then when I read that next section, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, and Paul says, husbands... Love your wives as much as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her as a sacrifice. It was like a two by four between the eyes because I realized I had been giving all of my effort over here on her and not looking at who it was that God was calling me to be as a husband. So that personal responsibility is so critical. And then finding ways to manage our own upset. The self-soothing challenge that Ashley spoke to us about last week. Some people say, count to 10. Um, I, I found myself that I had to do something physical to capture my ability to, to self-soothe. So what I did was, in, in a conversation with Nadine, uh, because I wanted to listen to her instead of immediately jumping to conclusion and defending myself and trying to get her right on track with the way I really saw things or felt, I sat on my hands. And it, it reminded me, listen, Mike, just listen. Just listen to her heart. Hear what she has to say. Spend time focusing on her for a moment, not so much on yourself. So the self-soothing can help turn that around when you start realizing that's my responsibility. So these four patterns, they can be helpful. It may be that no one present here actually has those at its worst. Those are the kinds of situations that usually prompt people to reach out and make a phone call, say, therapist, we need some help. We're caught in such a a experience, an experience that's keeping us from having anything at all in line with what we want. Can you help us? I would like to say that um, <clears throat> as we started out, we find ourselves getting energy from our interactions. Energy allows us to have those conversations. Even when you were dating Prior to marriage, you had some positive energy that you built difficult conversations on. What happens when life happens is life happens. Lots of things begin to enter in. Kids, when they come into your family, they don't wait around. They're not really patient people. 
They demand attention. That little one, three months old, and she messes her pants, guess what? She's going to cry because that's uncomfortable. I can only imagine. You know, that's not... When I'm hungry, she's, when she's hungry, she's going to cry. They're going to let us know immediately, hey, I need some attention and I need it right now. So you don't really have the option to postpone. But what are some other things that uh, you think are vying for your energy level in your marriage experience? Kids are an obvious one, right? And I think about the Brantleys who just now have five. I had two, and, and they seemed overwhelming. And you know, our kids, they're grown now. They're you know, your age. They're, they were fairly easy kids, you know? And I'm thinking, we spread them out. They were five years apart, and they were still challenging. But what are other things that are vying for your energy in your own world or in the world of your neighbors? Uh, or people that you know. <laughs> what, what do you notice vying for? Work. And that's so critical because you have to work, right? It's not easy to tell a boss no. It's not easy just to stay away from work that day because people are depending upon you. What else? Social schedules. Social schedules. Friends? Um, what fits into the social schedule? Sports. Sports. Music lessons. Church responsibilities. Yard work? No, it's not social. But that is a pressure if you live in a house with a yard, right? Because neighbors sort of like you to keep it mowed and cared for. There's just a lot of things that are demanding our time. And in my experience as a marriage therapist, people come in, what I see is they are out of energy. And they're juggling lots of things. And they're at odds about the best way to manage all of those things. Now, I want to emphasize this particular point here. Because meeting your kids' needs and meeting your spouse's needs are not mutually exclusive goals. The greatest gift you can give, and I'm sure you've heard this before, the greatest gift you can give your children is the gift of loving your spouse. I do not want you to underestimate the importance of this. Even if you know it here intellectually, it needs to become a part of this as early as possible, your heart where you elevate your relationship with your spouse above even the needs of your kids. Now that doesn't mean in the moment, because moments again, kids need diapers changed, need to be fed, need to be cared for, if they're bleeding especially. It's the recognition of here's where energy comes from. When we're partnering in marriage, and we're united in our effort as husband and wife, we have more energy now to address all of the things that we're trying to manage. Why do you think the marriage loses its elevation to some degree? What do we tell ourselves that might um, cause us to set that aside momentarily? You know, this is old Stephen Covey stuff. 
tyranny of the urgent, urgent versus important. Most of us would probably say our marriage is important. But it doesn't always have a sense of urgency attached to it. There aren't deadlines attached to uh, meeting our spouse's needs in the same way that some of these external things that you're talking about have deadlines attached to it. Yeah, good. We run around doing the urgent things and neglecting the important. Yes. Very good. Anyone else? Like, what goes through our processes to say we can kind of set the marriage off to the side momentarily? This goes along with what you were just saying. We need to say it's temporary. This is just a temporary thing. This is only going to take. And then once that's over, we've got another temporary thing. We've got another temporary thing. Yes. Temporary. The urgent always elevates itself, right? Because you, you've got to do it right now. You can't say uh, to the little little one, 18 months old, I'm sorry, honey, you're just going to have to sit there in your high chair and wait about 30 minutes. Now, you might do that, but if she's screaming, you're going to try to find the quickest way to do what? Stop the screaming! Uh, because again, the, someone's on the phone, or you know, there's a, a washing that needs to be uh, dry, you need to pull out of the dryer, so you don't have to end up ironing the shirts, or if you even have shirts that need to be ironed. Uh, there's just a lot of, of juggling going on. I, I find that couples often tell themselves, "But we're mature people. We understand that the urgent is more important than maybe the most important in the moment." Because we, we love each other, it's just we have to postpone the relationship for the sake of what needs our attention right now. I don't think anybody sets out to do that. I really don't. But I know one thing I did before I got married is I made time for that person. <laughs> I mean, I did. I juggled my schedule, even if I had to sacrifice studying for an exam. That wasn't too hard. But, uh, she was more important because, again, I elevated her and said, this is critical. But somehow we begin telling ourselves these other things are just more important. They're, they just need our attention. We can't, we can't think about our marriage right now. But what happens is the energy level begins to lessen. And now you begin doing it more on your own. And you feel it. Like we're not partnering. It feels like we're having tension. Why didn't you get up? I've been up three times already. I was up already two times before that. And last night I had. And we start defending ourselves about who is giving more energy to whatever the urgent is. That energy gets to a point in which it's not being replenished. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we get the energy back into our marriage experience? And, and it will happen. It happens to every couple. But we tell ourselves something that might help or hurt our ability to do that which can generate energy. Holding our children, we are going to give them time. We are parents. And sometimes our children are elevated to the most important people in our home. 
And I'm going to challenge you, if you think that today, I'm going to challenge you to seek about adjusting that. If you elevate your marriage to be the most important and your children fall below that, you're going to end up having more energy to address all of the things. And that doesn't mean you don't occasionally postpone. It's those who postpone continually. Those are the couples that I tend to see in marriage therapy. They're out of energy for their love for each other. They're caught in those four poisonous patterns. And they're thinking the only logical step is to break apart. Also, if by chance one of them has entered into any kind of level of affair, emotional or interaction with someone else, they're starting to share emotional things with someone else, and they're starting to get energy from that. It feels good to be engaged in a conversation where people are appreciating you for who you are, not for what they want to get out of you. That's why if we elevate our marriage and you think, well, that's just is so basic, but please recognize people don't see marriage as their source of energy. They see things being settled and moving along in a calm fashion as that's when things start providing energy. But it's the people energy that's going to get you through all of those challenges that you face. <clears throat> when you spend time with each other and focus on what you appreciate about each other, it feeds your marriage and your energy starts increasing. I've seen it happen. It seems so basic. But that's how you feed the kinds of things that you imagine wanting to happen. You go, and, hey, if I want to live to be married to Nadine for 50 years, what am I going to need to do in order to reach that? Well, I have to think about taking care of myself physically, right? So I have to exercise. I have to watch what I ingest. I have to take care of the physical body in order for me to think, I, I've got I've to do that in order to get to be 70 years old and be married to Nadine. Wow, now that takes time. Who has time for exercise? <laughs> you got kids? Who has time to plan meals? <laughs> it's easier to order pizza or pop it in the oven. Who has time for health? Come on, give me a break. There's too many things that need attention. We don't have time for those things because. But the forward view allows us to begin putting those things in place when you recognize how valuable it is. So it starts right at the very beginning, if you will. So what kind of marriage do we want in 50 years? What is it that we need to do to get there? And what do we need to be doing each day in order to achieve that? Most of the time we marry for love and we kind of cross our fingers and go, we had a good thing going and let's just keep it going. But if you don't, if you're not intentional about it, that's when things begin to slip away and move off the stovetop and the focus shifts to the things, the needs that aren't being met in your experience. <clears throat> what is a child-focused marriage? I'll hand these out. Um, I, I think there might be enough for um, 
everybody to have one. I hope so. I was thinking spring break, we may not need as many. Um, but I'm glad to send this on to you. This is something that you can process um, if you have children at home, especially. Uh, to kind of just answer this, talk together about it, um, and, and kind of assess where, we, where are we in our uh, marriage journey with children? How, how, how do we process where children are in our experience? Do we have a child focused? It's common in our United States. Some of it comes out of family of origin. Like I grew up in a home, uh, middle Nebraska. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom because she had four boys. My dad was the hard-working guy and he worked a lot of hours, but we never had much. Uh, interesting thing is our neighbors didn't either, so I don't know if we really knew that we didn't have much. But I don't ever remember going on a vacation. We do little weekend trips, usually to see relatives about three hours away, but not, nothing like some people, you know, who every year it's vacation and it's, it's amazing vacation. We just didn't have that experience. So when I started working and gaining a little bit of income, I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to give my kids something I didn't really get much of. We're going to go on vacation. And we're going to plan, it's going to be more than just visiting relatives. We're going to go see something we hadn't seen before. Um, let me see, what else? Uh, you know, I think I'm going to try to engage my children in sports activities. Because I grew up and my dad, he wasn't interested in sports. Uh, you know, I may have tried baseball, but he never came to a game. I mean, and I didn't think anything about it. In high school, I joined the swim team. I don't think he ever came to a swim meet. I didn't think anything about it. And I was probably glad because, you know, I don't know, it wasn't a big deal to me. But I thought, you know, wow, a parent needs to be involved and engaged. And so I started seeing how many things I wanted to give my children as opportunities so that they could have this amazing experience of life. But what does that do? It adds a lot of extra responsibilities, doesn't it? It can really stir up a, a lot of distractions from focusing on your marriage. Having a marriage-focused family, we tend to go the child-focused family. Everything is about giving our kids everything that we didn't have, and we want to make sure they're not denied anything. So I just plant the seed. You, you have to figure that out. I just know that if you're not intentional about the marriage, that takes, that's pushed to the back and sometimes off to the side to focus on all of these other things, as Dave said, that are urgent, that need our immediate attention. And those are energy draining. When we give to everything else, we're draining ourselves. Now, you might get a little bit of energy if son hits a home run or gets to second base, or if daughter uh, is playing uh, trombone in a band or something and marching. You, you'll get some satisfaction. It, it will be energizing to you, just not so much relationally. It's not as much. You can share that. It can be a, a shared joy. It just may not be as much as what your experiencing within the context of marriage of appreciation. Like, I love the way that you look at me across the room. I love 
that you put my socks in the drawer. Thank you for doing that, sweetie. Little things like that add up. It's observations, little things that you're noticing about your partner. Those things start building that, that world of appreciation, a culture of appreciation, and then that starts feeding. Start, you go, oh, she noticed that. Wow. You know, squeezing my hand. And she says, let me just pray tonight. God, thank you for Mike and for the job that he has and for the way that he saves money so that we can go on trips occasionally. That's so meaningful to me to know that he's so thoughtful about that. I go, can I just hug you now? It, it just, it stirs up warmth and it draws us together simple little comments about appreciation. And that starts building the energy. Some of the things that represent maybe a child-focused marriage is the couple who points to a child's sleep patterns is the reason they do not have sex. They're just too tired. The kid's are not sleeping well. We don't have time for that, and I can't do it in the evening or in the morning, or we can't do it in the afternoon, or we can't. There's no time, and we can't afford to go off somewhere. <coughs> it's just, can we not do it? Why do you always think about it? <laughs> and we'll talk about that at another session, the, the sexual <coughs> uh, intimacy relationship. But it's one of the things that starts being noticed by people. But see, physical contact helps create energy. The, the warmth of touch. It can start with holding hands in the car or in church, putting your arm around each other. Uh, well, it's probably hard to do at church around each other, but around, around one of, you know, and just, you know, a pat occasionally. <laughs> yeah, like, you might be going too far if you both wrap your arms around you. Uh, but you follow me. It's the idea of the touch that says you're important. I care about you. And it can start generating some energy. That's what touch does. Couples who say that between Little League and Scouts and music lessons and science projects, there's just no time for a date or a weekend away. One of the questions that I ask in intake when I do couples therapy is, tell me about your last date. What can you imagine the look is or the response? Can't remember. Are you kidding? Uh, deer in headlights. Basically, it's like, are we supposed to be dating? Hey, what's that? Don't remember it. Now, I won't ask you to show me uh, your hands today, but it is one of the things that is postponed. And why is that? Because there's just no time. There's no time for dating. If dating is a major source of energy for your marriage experience, would you decide, oh, we need to elevate the date? Um, does it have to cost? No. Gottman's, by the way, just came out with a book here recently, uh, Eight Dates, I think, some, something like that. Were you telling me that? Some, somebody was telling me that yesterday. It may have been Tracy. Um, I think dating is, when I do premarital counseling, I say, I'm going to give you two words, that if you keep this practice up, all throughout your marriage until you, death comes your way, till death do you part. I promise you, you will have a, an amazing marriage. Here's the two words. Keep dating. Keep dating. Keep dating. Keep dating. 
And they get a little sick of it because they're in the dating experience in the pre-marriage counseling, right? They're, they're doing a lot of dates and they're imagining, oh, we'll keep dating. But I see couples in distress. They do not know the last time they dated. Something else people do on dates. We finally got away from the kids. Grandparents came in. Guess what they do on a date? Do one out. Talk about the kids. They talk about the kids. Worry about them. What else? Worry about them. Worry about them? Sometimes they do. Usually they're trying to address all these important relational issues that have been postponed until they had time. Now imagine that as a, as a date. Talk about. I'm going into a date, and I'm going to be drained even before I get to the, the, the door of the restaurant. I'm going, no, please. And, and it's so hard, though, because when else are you going to talk about the issues that need attention? So we need to go on a date in order to talk about those. But why on earth would I ever want to date again if that's what we're going to be doing? It makes sense on one level, except this is where you have to figure out a different way. I've had clients that will choose 10 minutes a week to talk about issues. They've decided they're going to go into the restroom, they're going to close the door, and they're just going to have at it. And at 10 minutes, when the alarm goes off on their phone, because everybody has alarms on their phones, then to signify that they're done, they flush the toilet. <laughs> and they walk out. So many couples do their distressful talking in the bedroom. Why? Because it's their alone time. It's their together. It's, the kids are finally asleep. We're at the end of the day. And so now they're trying to address all the issues that need all the attention. And what makes the bedroom now a room of energy? It's just been sucked out. So you think, hmm, even being intentional, not, not only about finding a way to date, and I'm going to give you some ideas on dating, just you don't have to have three hours. A date could be 30 minutes because schedules are busy. A date doesn't have to cost a penny. I remember one time I came home uh, a little bit late. The kids were in bed because they were much younger, and Nadine had put out uh, a checkered tablecloth uh, on our living room floor. She'd made uh, uh, chicken salad, had crackers and cheese. She says, we're going to have a picnic in the middle of our living room. <laughs> Seriously? It was one of the coolest memories. Something so simple, didn't cost a dime. She still had groceries you know, we used, but we, we were gonna eat anyway. But it was something about sitting there interacting for about 30 minutes that felt so energizing. So you can get creative about making little bits of time for dating, doing little things that kind of spice it up a little bit uh, in, in ways that will help make it memorable, and then having just special moments of interacting and energizing yourself. Now, I'm one that likes to talk a lot, and I can talk about distressful things uh, at any time. Nadine cannot do that. So I, we have to figure out when we're going to talk about those things that need our energy. Last, our spouse's, my spouse's job is identified as the primary focus in order to earn sufficient money for college expenses for the children and to pay for all the opportunities that are important to our children. Wow, you can't deny that. College is expensive, but there are creative ways. If you put your energy together thinking about what could we do if we didn't want, if we want to see you more often, for example, 
<laughs> so you don't have to go off and feel like the pressure of I gotta work hard because I gotta make enough money for vacations and the big house and the cars and the college and all of the other uh, activities. That's a lot of pressure. Now, it might be that you're in a position in which it's not really pressure, but for so many, they just go, we get married and now we see our friends and some of them are in these amazing mansions and others are, you know, in a one-bedroom apartment and how is that? It doesn't, it doesn't seem fair and it, it doesn't. You just have to not compare yourself with others. You have to decide what you want to do as a husband and wife and then follow through. In fact, Paul addresses that in Galatians, avoid comparing yourselves with others. It's just so American, though. But that will work against you. It really will. So you think, okay, let's just talk about how we can, as husband and wife, bring back the energy in our experience. So do that exercise at home sometime. I would say another thing that couples do uh, when they finally go on a date they go on and on and on and on about the distressful topics that are creating such difficulties. So in therapy, what I do is I say, you cannot talk about this issue more than 15 minutes at a time because it takes a lot of energy to address those topics. So help yourself out. Just go 15 minutes. Prepare for it. We're going to talk about, I'll make this up. We're going to talk about going to see your mom this next uh, weekend. What do, we, what do we do about that? How, how do we make that uh, work? So, okay, so think about it. We'll talk 15 minutes um, uh, after the kids are in bed. Okay, 15 minutes. Anybody can go 15 minutes. But I'll tell you what, if you don't put a time limit on talking about the difficult topic, then people go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to go until midnight. I have the energy. I'm worn out. 15 minutes, you can probably do it. And within those 15 minutes, you might come up with some ideas that will help you, but you'll also stay focused. So I'm going to give you another task that you can take home that will help you process things in that way. Research is really clear on what it's like for children who grow up in a strife-filled environment. It impacts them on their attitude, their behavior, and especially their relational experiences going forward. It, it's not rocket science here, and, and nobody disagrees with this. It's just in the moment of greatest stress when people are out of their energy and they're trying to talk about things, they just can't seem to build a bridge because they're out of energy, they're out of ideas, and they've fallen into the pool of the poisonous patterns, and you just think, our only option is. Well, I don't believe it. I don't think Dave does, I don't think Ashley does, and, and most of you probably don't think it has to end in divorce. It's just when you're out of energy, the tendency is to think about how do I just get out of that? So starting, as we've heard before, starting to regain the energy starts with a day-by-day -day practice. And what does that practice look like? Starting to form a culture of appreciation. Because that will move you away from feelings of contempt. It's hard to have contempt for someone you appreciate. That seems so basic, doesn't it? So practice the appreciation. 
Parents who take good care of their marriage, who listen and respond to each other's needs, provide their kids with a great role model for healthy relationships. It's so basic, but they're observing. When I see couples in distress, I often ask them, tell me a little bit about the family you grew up in. Uh, mom and dad divorced at three. And you may have, have this experience. Who is your model for a marriage that brings energy? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I had an uncle. They lived about four hours from us, uncle and aunt. It just interferes with the ability to know how do conversations occur in homes and marriages that have energy and appreciation for each other. What does that look like? So you're teaching them uh, how to manage life by observing what's going on between them. <clears throat> so what is our pursuit? It is truly a happier home. And you think, well, that, of course, who wouldn't want a happier home? But how do we get there? There are some things that I hope you'll um, retain from this. Uh, schedule a date. Keep dating. Keep dating. Keep dating. If you need ideas, I'm glad to offer you ideas. No cost ideas. You can go online and say, ideas for free dates. And you'll have lots of ideas because you can do it at home. It's just clearing time for each other. That's the first thing. Be intentional about that. Second, keep your dates away from focusing on the hard issues that need attention. You say, but Mike, when would we address those? Trust me on this. If you keep your date protected and it's energizing and full of appreciation about each other, that you're really generating good things, then from that date say, now we do need to talk about this. When can we carve out, how many minutes? 15 minutes. Start there. You can grow to 30. Nadine and I don't have time limits now because we don't let them linger. We just know it's not going to be good for us. But start with 15 minutes. Everybody can carve out 15 minutes to talk about hard issues. But that will also give you some time to think about it in advance and be more likely to listen to each other because you only have 15 minutes. So keep dating. Ten things, whoops, ten things to help your marriage feel less stress. I've already hinted at this. It's pretty much the theme of today. Put your spouse first. Elevate your marriage to the top level. Second, figure out how to have fun. That's what brought you together in the first place. That's why I'm asking you, avoid your dates that are talking about the difficult issues. Make it fun. Do something fun, out of the ordinary. Third, build together time into your schedule. That's the carve out 15 minutes to talk about the, the hard issues because you do have to talk about them. Fourth, don't sweat the small stuff. Now, if it's a moral issue, it's something you probably want to sweat because moral uh, differences within marriage need attention because you're now talking about a, a significant divide. But so many of the things... Um, uh, don't require as much energy as we often give in our marriage experience. Uh, you may have 
I didn't actually say this, but you may have kind of heard it as a theme. Simplify your life. Like we finally decided with our children, you didn't have an option of not involving yourself in a youth activity because you were going to be involved in that. And we were going to ask you to choose what area would you like to really spend your energy on. Do you want to play sports? You want to play in the band? You want to take music lessons? What one thing would you really like to go after? Okay, it was much easier for us to manage the one thing than what we were observing in other friends' families. They had so many things, they didn't really do anything well because they were exhausted all the time. Fifth, serve together. There's something valuable about doing something for someone else together. Go down to a soup kitchen. Serve breakfast down at the um, Presbyterian Church downtown. It, it just helps get yourself out of yourselves. Six, communicate clearly and respectfully. That's what this task exercise called Give Me a Clue, one per couple. And uh, again... Uh, just by chance, I, I don't have enough. Please let me know. I'll make sure I send one to you digitally. <laughs> because this is a simple exercise that will help you learn how to clarify what you're feeling. It's give me a clue about this. Help me out so you can do some advanced preparation. This is one of those 15-minute conversations I hope you'll find time to carve out. Seven, tell the truth. Oh, my goodness. People who... Keep secrets create lots of stress. People who don't keep secrets, you don't have to worry about what you said before and trying to remember what you said before because you're always telling the truth. Eight, I mentioned this earlier, hold hands, hug, make out. Can that be done even at the end of the day without the anticipation of full sexual intimacy? Yes. I know a lot of people have individual chairs. Say, hey, let's sit on the couch tonight. We're going to watch the, an hour show before bedtime. And then just put your arm around. Hold hands. Snuggle. It's so simple things. Even as you drift off to sleep, just reach over. Put your arm around your partner and you say, I love going to sleep with you at night. I love waking up to you with you in the morning. Little things like that start building appreciation, but the touch, the, the simple comment, all begins feeding the energy level. And that's the whole point of today. Nine, play to each other's strengths and your own. Our tendency as humans is to always focus on the negative, the broken, instead of the strengths we possess. And then number 10, this might be part of the simplify your life, live within your means. Uh, the greatest challenge that I see people live beyond their means, and it's what's producing stress because now both people need to make more money in order to accomplish all the things they have their kids in and to be able to do all that they want to do because their neighbors are doing it all, and it's just a lot of pressure. And you may be a unique person in your neighborhood or in your church family or in your own family by simplifying. But I promise you this, you will find energy beginning to emerge in ways that you hadn't imagined. And you will find yourself being able to address things more in time than having to postpone 
for a later conversation. All right, thank you for staying with me. I hope there were some things there that uh, you'll be able to retain. Is there, if you did not receive a copy of the Give Me a Clue exercise, please let me know and I will make sure I send one to you this week. Mike, can you just send it out on the regular email? I could do that, thank you. <laughs> I don't know, I didn't think of that. But I, I will uh, send that out uh, via email also. Any thoughts, questions, summaries, curiosities, helpful hints you'd like to throw out before we uh, finish? I think one, one thing. I think if you get 15 minutes, I love that idea. But for some of us, I'm ready to talk right away. But sometimes the spouse's personality is not like that. Yeah. It's hard to... And that's why scheduling the time. See they should if, be ready. <laughs> well, because you say, hey, it's Tuesday evening, and this is an important conversation. Could we carve out 15 minutes Saturday morning? I'll fix coffee, and, and let's just, uh, here's what I want us to address. Because usually someone in the relationship is the one who wants to address it in a more timely manner, right? So the other one now has a chance to, feel a lot of anxiety, but also an opportunity to process like, okay, I'm going to write down a couple things because I want to make sure that my partner hears these things. But it does help with the preparation part. And you think anybody can do just about anything for 15 minutes. You set that alarm. Now, here's the interesting thing I found with couples that I work with. They said, we discovered that after 15 minutes, we were kind of on a roll. We were sort of energized. And, and we kept going for another 15 minutes. I said, okay, you can have that for you. So anyway, thank you all. And uh, next week, Dr. Chris Gonzalez will be back in here uh, covering, and I'm not quite sure what the topic is, but I'll try to let you know. Anyway, thank you for your attention. Dave, did you get a number of the? I did. We sent it down. Thank you. Appreciate it.